0: Seconds flat. meters. Stand by for the kick of Dave Waddle. If he's got it, he could make it. I think he did it. Dave wants This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast.
1: he broken three times. He refuses to give in.
0: Hello again, friends, and welcome to Mile 134 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It is great to be back with you. We are going to give you today some recaps on two great races. Uh, One, an iconic trail race in Asheville, North Carolina last weekend. Phil? Oh, I'm a little sore still. You were at (laughs) Shut-in Ridge. What a great race. Uh, excellent venue, and I was in Indianapolis for what has become one of the most popular road marathons and half marathons of the fall. And then we're going to discuss that in the context of how to use tune-up races to best hit your target. Yep. We've briefly discussed this before, but not into too much detail, so we'll, well and expand. As we kind of
1: put together our training plans the past couple months. like Both of these were targets that we wanted to run well at, but that also had kind of the background context of using this to carry us into the last little phase before... For a big one. Yeah.
0: That's right. Uh, Before we get into any of that, I must first say NCAA cross regionals this weekend, and Benji, this is for you. I know you're listening. You're probably on the beach down in Florida, drinking hand, (laughs) laying in the sand. I know you're not running, Uh, although I do know also I want to say... Great performance from his high school cross-country team that he works with at at the state meet. But Benji, this is for you. His boys, the Lumberjacks, Northern Arizona, they took the mountain region uh, over BYU. Now, I know not everyone ran for BYU. We also saw at Stanford had a great performance, but Cole Sprout, one of their top guys, did not run. Don't know if that's injury or just held out, but... We will find out soon at Nationals. It seems perhaps as if the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks are once again in the mix to compete with. I think Stanford is my favorite, but BYU is in there. There as well. Yeah. On the course in Stillwater, Oklahoma for a national championship. Women's race. North Carolina State's been a, a one of the favorites. That's an exciting showdown between... All um, year long. Like
1: NC State, we have Florida State with Parker. Oh, um,
0: University of Florida. Excuse me. Parker Valby. Yes, Thank you. absolutely. Uh, who will be one of the potential favorites. We have the exciting freshman from Oklahoma State on her home course. Will be a, an individual favorite in the female race as well. So looking forward to that. We'll dive into it more coming soon. Let's start with your race at Shut-In Ridge. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful and challenging oh goodness, yes. venues in the region. Incredible history at Shut-In. Uh, for those who are uninitiated, this is a trail that roughly connects the Vanderbilt Mansion yep. at Biltmore with their hunting cabin. They're off of Mount Pisgah. Up and Mount yeah. Pisgah. Yeah, a race with a storied tradition, a race that is normally 18-ish miles, but was a little
1: longer this year. They had to pivot again because of the Forest Service. Yeah,
0: so so, so Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit of the background of the race and then a brief recap of your experience. Yeah,
1: so this is a race I've done three times now. I think it was in its 41st year. So Mm -hmm. it's a, a classic Southeastern Trail race. Starts there at the Arboretum right outside of Asheville. Oh, like you said, kind of connects the Biltmore property or historically connected the Biltmore property into Pisgah National Forest. So it starts there at the French Broad River, climbs, I think, a total of about 3,000 feet over the course of the whole race in about 18 miles um, along the Shut-in Ridge Trail. So basically, you start off the Arboretum, wander through there a little bit, and then head up to the Parkway to connect to the Shut-in Trail, also known as the Mountain Sea Trail, and then you just climb for the whole day. Mm. I guess a little bit of recap about the course is the first eight miles or so are gradual climbs, gradual rolling up to the parkway. Then it kind of levels off a little bit, level being a a relative term. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then the last couple miles are absolutely brutal. Going over Mount Pisgah, I don't know anybody that was running it. Even the guys that were in the lead were putting down 15 minute miles or so. (laughs) And that stage in the race, that is so painful. Time-wise, historically, the the course has always been considered about a marathon-type effort. Yeah, that's been one of the great
0: subplots yeah. uh, of shut-in is it's often considered that the time it takes you to run the, the traditional course, the yep. 18-ish mile course, would be roughly approximate to your marathon time, assuming you were in good Similar condition. fitness. Yeah. Uh, with a decent ability to climb, yep. as you said. I do want to uh, point one thing out that as you were going through your recap, you mentioned the parkway. For those who have not run in the region, you are going parallel for a, an extended portion Pretty of this of yeah. race to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yes. It's a, yep. a beautiful landscape. Even if you just want to drive and see the fall leaves, you were right in the fall leaves. Oh, my.
1: Well, and that's what's so fun about this course this time of year is that you really go through the seasons. You start – pretty, not low elevation, but maybe 2,000 feet or so. So there's still a good bit of leaves on the trees. As you climb and as you go in and out of coves in the mountains, you're in some sections that still the leaves are very colorful and changing and other sections where there are no leaves except what's on the trail. So it's kind of cool to go through the changing of the seasons as you climb. I think we ended up maybe around 5,000 feet or so. It's so just an absolute beautiful course. Of course, those leaves make it a little more challenging when you can't yeah. really see what you're stepping on. Uh, And that was really kind of the story of the day this past Saturday. was the weather, in addition to the leaves being on the trail, it had rained a pretty good bit the day before. About halfway through the race, it started raining pretty steadily as well. So That's tough. The combination of what is normally a pretty technical trail as it is with very poor visibility to what you're stepping on, and then you throw some wet leaves on top of that, and that slows you down a little bit. What did you think of your race overall, Phil? Uh, I was pleased with it. You know, going into halfway, I was moving well. I was moving a little bit faster than I did last year. But that second half of the footing really just took it out of me. Mm. So you, you kind of get in your head after you had a couple of slips and a couple of yeah. first calls. And that automatically causes you to slow down regardless of where your fitness wants you to be moving. And you um, haven't
0: been working on technical trail stuff either. Right. You haven't d-
1: spent a ton of time on trails. Yeah, you,
0: you've done some, some lighter trails at, yeah. at DuPont, uh, and some longer runs, but nothing this technical right. under so, these conditions.
1: I wasn't quite as confident that second half to move as well as or move as quickly as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of the takeaway was, number one, this was a fantastic race. Just the history of it, the story behind it, and the scenery. But number two, it was, well, I didn't Run as fast as I had hoped to going in. It was really a good uh, good time on feet. You know, I think I was out there for three and a half hours or so, give or take. So as we're looking at what, a little less than four weeks from CIM, I think that was just a good long day for me.
0: Yeah, we'll revisit that yeah. momentarily. Your recommendation of this race for someone who is just uh, maybe not a trail runner per se. I don't consider you – you like to run trails do, occasionally, yeah. but that's not your forte. Correct. What grade would you give the shut-in experience given your three races there?
1: Ooh. This one was a B plus. Okay. My first time there was back in 2008. That was probably an A. Mm-hmm. Partly because I didn't know what I was getting into yeah, going into yeah. it. But the weather was a little bit warmer. It was dry, uh, which makes a huge difference. Last year, I would have said a C. That was the second time I did it. But the issue there was that it's very much an old-school race, so they have – You provide your own aid stations, essentially. Yeah. With the parkway kind of paralleling the course, that works pretty well most of the time. So you can have somebody that's with you to have whatever nutrition or fluids that you need. But last year, it was a last-minute call of the FAR far service to close the parkway. Mm -hmm. So you quickly shifted to from a mindset of, okay, I'll have aid every three to five miles to I need to carry everything that I'm going to want for the whole day. Yeah. Uh, So that was... A challenge to kind of wrap my head around. Still a fun day and still a great course. So this this year, the weather's added a little bit extra challenge to it.
0: And for someone who is interested in doing this, highly encourage it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I thought you would for say that. For anybody
1: in the Southeast, this is the trail race to do. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't
0: limit it on the Southeast.
1: I, well, I, that's true. I,
0: I want to take a step back from that with the caveat that I have not run the race. I have run the trail, extensive portions of the trail on multiple occasions, several years. This was what I did for my first of the year, January 1st New Year run Uh at Shut-In Ridge from the Arboretum, parked at Bent Creek, jogged over from the Arboretum and up and out the trail for just a couple hours of easy running in what is always very cold weather, but beautiful conditions. So, have not run it, but I would travel from out of the region for this race, or at least the experience of running this trail if you're in the area. And and there is, of course, a great trail scene in the Asheville, greater Asheville area. You're right, as far as the level of competition. Uh, but also just the quality of, of trail experience at shut-in in particular in the region is second to none. Yes. I, I wouldn't be afraid to get in the car from the Deep South or the Atlantic Coast or the Midwest and make a trip to, oh, to shut-in. Trip. Yeah. yeah, it's it's phenomenal, beautiful. Great, Phil. So we'll come back uh, okay. here shortly to how this well, sits within the framework yeah. of your training I was in Indianapolis uh, for the, I believe, fourth year in a row for the Indy nice. Monumental Half Marathon and Marathon. This is the first time as a runner for those, the other time just supporting our athletes. Oh, well, you had some great conditions last year. Oh, week. my <laughs> gosh. It was miserable. <laughs> it was absolutely miserable. I'll save my performance for okay. the, when we talk about using it as a tune up race and the pivot that I had to make to, to make it a productive weekend. Over the past decade, This has become one of the premier fall races for faster runners from all over the country. It's happened for several reasons. One is historically great conditions. Mm -hmm. We did not get that at all. Not this bad. So if anything in the past, there's been some years where it was maybe colder than optimal. However, we were well into the mid-60s before the gun. The rain started at about 6.45 for a 7 a.m. race. The biggest factor, though, was the wind. Okay. The, the rain, if anything, when it wasn't heavy, was somewhat welcome yeah, just much to much cool things you, off. How much It was steady most okay. of the time, but there were a few miles, I remember, where it was more intermittent. Yeah. Um, but the wind was the factor. It, it was... Stiff, stiff winds, <laughs> 20 plus miles an hour consistently. Ooh. And the final 5k of the race coming down Meridian Street is a straight line south and the winds were out of the south into your face straight on. I, I made to a uh, comment to a friend that it was like a drone strike on the north <laughs> side of Indianapolis, the shrapnel every I mean there were just like trash and bags oh, flying everywhere and and people are just falling apart oh. at this point. <laughs> With that said, we must pause and give an incredible amount of respect to one of our athletes, Brian, who ran the marathon and put up a massive PR. Nice. Brian, I have been telling everyone that you cheated. (laughs) Check his problem. Because it was a day where his fitness was well ahead of where it had been previously, and he had stayed healthy and consistent. That's been a big issue for Brian. But he just had a mentality when he, uh, in his email to me afterward, you know, he described just the toughness he wanted to show. And he's realizing that this is a guy who's a doctor, who's got a family, there's another kid on the way, he doesn't know when the next chance at a good training block is going to be, I have to make the most out of this day, and just whatever happens, happens he had a really strong wise approach to the race uh, i know the last 5k the wheels were falling off it, just given the conditions yeah. into that wind but it just makes me think of what he could have done yeah. on, on a perfect day but he had a, a huge pr so great work to to brian in the past i have seen indy really as a grade a race my experience uh as someone encouraging athletes and friends mm-hmm. there.
1: No, wait. Well, I remember we talked about potentially putting this one on the calendar for myself as well. Yeah.
0: And if you want to run fast, because in addition to, to go back, I was discussing the conditions, but a largely flat course, mm-hmm. uh, some just barely gentle up and downs, and some very long straight stretches uh, on both the marathon and half marathon course, which is helpful, and the depth of competition. Yeah. Which only keeps improving. However, at the top end this year, we did not see the number of Olympic standards. Oh, excuse me, Olympic trials standards. Those qualifying marks we have in previous years. You think that's because of the weather? Yes, I think that's uh, the by far the most significant yeah. factor in holding that back. Just to see at the top end, I would guess in the half marathon. I can't speak to the conditions everywhere on the marathon. Five to eight seconds per mile slow. Oof. Yeah. I think would be a fair guess. Uh, okay. And in reality, that was probably like the last four miles were probably 10 to 20 yeah. seconds slow. And everything else was just a little slow because of uh, you didn't have the wind in your face for Directly much the on. early yeah. race, but just the temperature. And we've mentioned it here before. I'm a cold weather runner. I would have preferred... Twenty to thirty degrees colder Mm -hmm. than what we had today, and uh, excuse me, what we had that day, and I would have been happy. You make the most of of what you have on that day. We saw it. uh, We're recording on Saturday earlier today at Richmond. Richmond this morning. It was steamy. We saw it last week at New York, the day after Indy. They had those high temps and high humidities, and not necessarily like searing heat as we've seen at at a few Boston's Mm -hmm. in the past. The seventy-six run for the hoses, Jack Fultz in seventy six uh-huh. when, when we're pushing a hundred degrees on the course. But these are far beyond optimal conditions to run a marathon yes. hard and well. It's like well. a
1: swing for a good performance that you've built into for the past four months. Yeah. That these conditions unfortunately don't allow that.
0: That's right. Add to that my previous experiences, I said that I would recommend it. It's an A. I, I would give Indy now after running it maybe more of a B plus. Not okay. so much grading my race, but grading the race itself. As it has grown, I, I do see some issues popping up with the organization at the beginning of the race. The, the corral structure probably needs to be reworked. In okay. knowing that there were people who had bibs for both corral A and B. In, with, and ahead of some of the seated and elite athletes um, in some of the just mayhem that was happening in the weather beforehand. Right. And then in Corral A, it probably needs to get broken down. And Corral A is fewer people have that bib uh-huh. because it was just jam-packed full of people who... Probably didn't have a reason to be up that close to the front. And of course, if you're in Corral A, if that's your bib, you're going to get there early and get up as far as you can. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, so that probably needs some reworking. And then the big disappointment this year, and and I understand this happens, but at a race of this quality, it's, it's really disappointing. The winner in the men's half marathon ran the course as it is supposed to be run. Apparently, a turn was missed. Ooh. There's a little jog in the course. You Uh come right back to the course. And so you're talking about this less than tenth of a mile where it appears, based on what I read afterwards uh, from race organizers, everyone except for the men's winner ran the wrong course. Oh, interesting. There was a gap after Uh him. He ran the right – and somehow they missed that next person, and then more people are coming. So then you're just following whoever's in front of you. Yeah, so that, that's a huge disappointment for a race uh, of this caliber. In particular, knowing people go here to try to hit trial standards right. in the future is something just to be aware of. It's it's a mistake I don't expect you'll see again, but it is disappointing for the people who were there this year. Will you be back next year? Oh, that's a great question. If... If people that I run with want to go, yeah, Yeah. I'd go back because I think you'd probably get a much better day. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's look at mine in the context of best practices for tune-up races because I haven't spoken to what I actually did in the race. Two, three days out, I started to see this weather forecast unfolding. Warm Mm -hmm. and then warmer and warmer and heavy rain possible, but the biggest factor being the wind.
1: Because going in, your original plan was just to run a fast race, Was to try to race.
0: And so that's the great point, Phil, because I believe in using a half marathon as a tune-up for a marathon. Number one, my first advice is go race it. Okay. I would set it somewhere between three and eight weeks out. Okay. Three to me, for myself, is a little too close. That's pretty close. I wouldn't do it myself, but... I've seen people do that successfully, but four, maybe five, six to eight weeks out is probably a good sweet spot that you can gotcha. fit one. And this was four weeks out for me, but I had the luxury of knowing, yeah, I'd like to run well here, but I had a good half marathon earlier in the year and this is not the target. Let's right. pivot out of it a little bit.
1: Your main goal is still the marathon for three, four weeks away, four
0: weeks away now three, but yeah. at the time four so I decided a couple of days before that assuming those conditions existed I wanted to mentally be in a space where if we get there and the weather's great I need to go for it. Yeah. But assuming those conditions exist I'm going to use this as a marathon pace tempo okay. effort. That is not my favorite use of tune-up racing in a half marathon. If it can work and it is a great place to have that experience of knowing the efficiency that you need to work with yeah, in a marathon. That, see, that's my
1: question. Like what are you with going in with that target versus going in with the mindset of racing? What are you trying to learn setting it on marathon pace?
0: Yeah. Number one, hard workout. I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I have ever done a workout of 13.1 miles at marathon pace. Yeah. In preparation insane. for a marathon yeah. in a single block. You know, I, I break it into pieces. And I don't think you need to do that to be right. successful. It It's not an indicator. But it allows me to work at that pace in a hard effort under racing conditions mm-hmm. where I practice everything. And that's the biggest thing for me. It becomes a
1: dress rehearsal now well, when I do this you know, marathon pace tempo. Then you know what it feels like when you have the excitement. Of the race around you as well.
0: That's right. I have the night before, I get my meal with friends. We all went out. We did kind of what we'll do bedtime, wake up call, yeah. short shake out in the morning, warm up. That whole thing looked like it'll look on marathon day. And I took a gel at a point in the half marathon that would be my first gel in the marathon. Mm-hmm. I'm able to practice handoffs at the drink stations. And I'm able to work pace with all these people around me. One of the great things about those corrals being a bit overwhelmed was it allowed me to work on just staying patient and don't fight with this crowd. Not trying to swim your way through the crowd. So my first two miles actually probably combined ended up 30 or more seconds slow. Oh, interesting. And then I... Worked a few seconds faster than marathon pace. And if you add in the weather conditions, Mm -hmm. I probably ran an effort that was maybe five to ten seconds faster than marathon effort over the course of a half marathon distance. Then the next big piece is I'm able to come out of this and recover a little more quickly than if I had tried to run really, really hard all out on that day. Yeah. And you have to be aware of your body. And I have to think about what my normal training looks like, your age is a factor, how you respond to different weather conditions is a factor. For me, it allowed me to set up a stretch that ended today, a week later, of probably the most difficult eight days, it would be, of my training. Nice. Where I did a marathon-based tempo. On my watch, I ended up with 13.2 miles, so I don't know what difference the course inaccuracy made, and you're downtown, so you know the GPS is going to be off with the buildings anyway, but close enough. Then I came back with the longest run of this cycle, two and a half hours, which I've done a few times this cycle, but on distance, it was slightly farther than previous. It just ran a little bit faster, closing at marathon effort, and then this morning... Did twelve miles uh, a warm up? Excuse me, plus twelve miles of alternations, where every half mile I changed pace. Yeah, you're kind of
1: above pace and then below pace. Yeah, and back using and forth.
0: goal marathon pace, just that riding that wave of uh, a little faster, then a little slower, back and forth for twelve miles. Yeah, I don't know that I could have gotten that week in. Also, which would have been okay if I had run that half marathon as a race. I know I couldn't have done it using that half marathon as a race under those conditions, recovery would have taken a a lot longer. You alluded, Phil, to yours being more of a time on feet. You see it just as like the biggest long run of the cycle?
1: I think so. And really, I think that was what I needed from a training perspective. I agree. That the, you know, I'm very comfortable kind of going up to two hours, doing some workouts along in that, you know, I'm comfortable with, or my goal paces and kind of working the different paces of workouts that I've done. But just that amount of time moving and on my feet was really a, a good stressor for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the degree as well, with it being a trail race, with it being mostly uphill and with it being technical, you know, I was, you know, I told you before the show, I went out Monday, ran the race was on Saturday. I, I took Sunday off, went out Monday and ran just an easy shakeout. Went out Tuesday, and ran six miles or so. Felt good, was tired, but not necessarily beat up. So just from a a fatigue perspective, I think it was a very good stimulus. But from a mechanical stress perspective, it wasn't a huge thing to necessarily come back from.
0: That's key. I Mm -hmm. very much like that point, Phil, because you were four weeks out from your biggest
1: race. Right. Uh,
0: And so that's another important point for the listener to be aware of.
1: Well, and the other thing that, that I really worked on with this was the nutrition aspect of it. Yeah. In terms right. of taking gels at the same, you know, not necessarily distances, but at the same time frames that I'm looking at for the marathon to make sure that mm-hmm. I can handle that, but also to to practice that. So I think it was a good a good training effort.
0: Time is the indicator to use for yeah. fuel consumption on any race distance or terrain, right? They're not going to be even necessarily mileage markers, particularly for those of us who do not have access to, say, a drink table or a yep. bottle handoff every 5K of a big race. Most runners don't have that. I mentioned earlier that my number one recommendation would be simply to race the tune-up race. And I believe that at any distance, 5K, 10K, half marathon, I'll just lump those in for, yep. say, tuning up for a marathon. But you can use this as well, tuning up for shorter races. You might use more of them in tuning up for shorter races, like the 5K. Yes. If you go back to our 5K training episode we did with some of our workouts we would recommend if we had to bring it down, funnel down to five key workouts, my work largely avoided race pace. But in a 5K setting, you could race much more frequently. Yep. And so you could do two or three 5Ks over the course of a couple months as tune-up races, racing them hard to prepare you. That could be your race pace work in preparation for a 5K. Of course, a marathon does not lend itself to that, racing a bunch of marathons.
1: But with a marathon, since you're only racing, you know, one at most, maybe two or three a year, you don't have that mentality of racing that you can learn and develop so much more When you're racing more frequently with the 5Ks and the 10Ks. And and
0: that's been a key thing for me. I don't or I haven't in the past raced a bunch. And just getting out to these races is helpful in preparing yourself for the experience and also just the physical and psychological stress that you're going to put yourself through when you are racing at that edge. When you're pushing that red line. You have to get at least a little familiar with that to be able to execute it well during a race. You could also use tune-up races as a tempo-style workout like I did. I I have a friend who had a really, really good Chicago cycle a few years ago, and in that lead-up, he did two separate half marathons that were at his marathon pace and trying again to work on the economy. I don't know that I recommend the extensive travel like I had yeah. to do that. If you have the race in your backyard and it looks somewhat similar to the course you might be on, that makes a lot well, of that's sense.
1: An added level of stress and recovery as well from the travel. That, that's right. That actually
0: might maybe was more for yeah. me than the race itself. But again, my plans were not made assuming this would become a workout. Right. But you could do that in 5Ks as well. You know, some people struggle with the mental focus in a threshold run, like your beloved (laughs) 20-minute tempo run that you like to do. And let's say we're doing that truly a a threshold effort somewhere around 15K at a half marathon pace. Jumping in a local 5K, if it's relatively cheap, could be a great place to try to execute the 5K threshold run. And maybe you tack stuff on after it too. Maybe there's some hills or strides or whatever it might be to become a very successful workout as well. Within a half marathon context, you could do some longer alternation or interval style work that could be very successful as well. So you take the workout that I did this morning, you have mile markers on the course, Mm -hmm. race-like conditions. That can be a whole lot easier than if you have, say unmarked roads that you use on a lot of your workouts where you're just looking at your watch for the indicators. Now, a half marathon tends to be a little bit more expensive just to sign up for, but if there's something that's relatively inexpensive in your area, that could be a great place to throw in what might be your more challenging alternation or interval style Mm -hmm. work that you have planned in your build. As an example, several weeks ago, Uh, I did a a five-by-two-mile effort with half-mile floats in between each. Well, that gets you to 12 miles. And then you have options for what you do for that last 1.1. Do you start to cool down? Do you do another interval at that same pace? Or do you work on trying to close a little bit harder? So plenty of good options present themselves. A key point, you don't have to do any racing before your big race. Do this if you want to do it. Yes. Find joy in it. Some of the best in the world do this. Others never do. The fastest marathoner in human history never does tune-up races. So it's not a must-do. It's not a have-to. Right. He has a ton of experience racing at a lot of different distances over the course of a career. But as you mentioned Phil, exposing yourself to what it feels like to race can have value, but maybe that's just in a totally different cycle. You know, maybe you do a 5k or 10k cycle before
1: your you're marathon specific. A marathon build or yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And then you just focus in on 8 or 10 weeks where you're really focused because for a lot of folks, mentally that's about all they really want to handle before yes. they start to burn out. You don't want to be in this huge constant training cycle. And so maybe in that window, you don't tune up, but you had raced a decent amount before at other distances. You don't have to do it. Do it because you want to do it, because you get to do it.
1: Well, let me ask you this, kind of bringing bringing that point up from a a benchmarking perspective. Mm -hmm. Is there any value to using a race to help target potential goal pace or what you might be looking to target for a marathon?
0: You and I have disagreed on this a bit in the past and that you like use more of benchmark workouts. Right. I understand them. They have value, but I don't put as much value on them as you might. Right. I prefer racing as the indicator. Racing is the benchmark that you can use. The trouble here, though, is marathoning is almost a different sport. Your 5K time tells me a lot about what you can do in a 10K. Right. Your half marathon time tells me something about what you can do in a marathon. It gives me a good idea of a ceiling. Okay. And it probably tells me a bit of a range, but it doesn't tell me how your body's going to react at 20 and 22 and 24 miles if you haven't been there before. In using it as a benchmark, in using a half marathon as a benchmark for a marathon, be aware of how you execute and how mm-hmm. you pace. And in all these races, we've been talking about conditions, weather, heat, wind, certainly were factors. But even on a, uh, an optimal day, if you put it into a calculator, we've said here before that the 10 man running calculator is quite good. Yeah. Runfastcoach.com, that calculator, I find to be one of the more accurate. If you put in the half marathon that you just ran, and it's going to spit out a marathon prediction, assuming you're fully trained for that the marathon, seems to work. Yeah. yeah, I still wouldn't be going out at that pace that it predicts I could run. I would be more conservative if, if I'm using it as yeah. an indicator based on an earlier, shorter race. Okay. Any other thoughts or questions on I think that covers tune-up racing? Uh, just some basics that- I know we are now at peak race time for most folks, but How are you feeling? I feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. I have been just a little bit dinged up in like the kind of classic soreness and that kind of stuff. You should feel uh, that
1: way at this point. I in think the cycle. so.
0: I, I'm not as fresh as I was a couple of weeks ago, but I also do think I've, I've maybe hit that valley and started to come back. I feel nice. better than I did maybe a week and a half ago. I know you've been sick. Yeah. So that's a factor that we all face along the way. The key is in, in both these instances, whether it's sickness or just the amount of mileage on your legs that we all go through in a marathon training cycle don't dig yourself into a huge fatigue hole by trying to overdo it when you don't feel well. Yeah. You have to get yourself to the start line first before you can attack the finish line. All right, that will do it for mile 134 of the Seconds Flat running podcast. We will see you next time on mile 135. Coming up soon, we will do a in-depth course strategy For CIM, since we are both going there and it's a very popular race, that is this year the U.S. Championship. So we'll also get a preview of the field as well. So that will be coming soon uh, to give you some tips as you attack the course if you are headed out for the 26.2 miles from Folsom to Sacramento the first weekend in December. Look at (laughs) the glimmer in your eyes. Uh, Phil is ready to roll. Uh, So look forward to sharing that with you, catching you up on NCAA Cross. Everybody have a wonderful week. Enjoy your training. We will talk to you soon.